0: To today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy.
1: And I am the other, Corwin Heller.
0: And welcome to the Monday edition of the podcast. We've got a loaded episode for you. Uh, Corwin Heller, are you ready to get started? What if I said no? I would go on without you, and wish you well. This is not a no-child-left-behind situation. You can Too go shame. George W. Bush yourself. There was a better joke in there somewhere, but oh well. Uh, hey man,
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to make any comments.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess so I guess let's start off with the biggest thing that just happened today as we're recording this. It is June 6th, um, 3.30 in the afternoon. Which means that the Julio Jones trade happened earlier this morning. Finally, for once, something big and interesting happens before we record instead of directly afterwards. Um, which I can now, I'm very glad Emily Nyman of Breaking Balls Podcast also understands this phenomenon now that she switched her recording day um, because it is the worst. It's the worst fucking feeling in the world. Um, but anyway.
1: And it never ends. Never. It's one of those things that's just consistently every single time something happens.
0: Like two days later after you record, it's like I mean, all right, like we weren't going to make that, but like five ten minutes after you record, it's it is it is a special kind of infuriating.
1: Are you fucking fucking kidding me right now? Seriously? Uh,
0: Like we just talked about something that would have to do with this. Like, uh, yeah, it it hurts. So anyway, (laughs) we let's let's rejoice that the. Um, Atlanta Falcons have traded Julio Jones to the Tennessee Titans. Um, The Titans are sending over a 2022 second round pick and a 2023 fourth round pick. The Falcons are sending over Julio Jones and their 2023 sixth round pick. So the Falcons are getting an extra second this year and are swapping, swapping, um, swapping sixth and fourths in 2023. So, uh, man, Corwin, what do you think about this? This was uh, an unexpected uh, trade here.
1: It's one of those things where I am very much surprised by the cost. Essentially, a two and just a little bit extra for a guy like Julio Jones. Like, yes, he's, what, 32 years old now? Uh, I've just had his profile up. I should have bothered to look. He is 32. Look at me, I know ages, and yet he's still a top three wide receiver in the NFL, and he's still a guy who is going to be the best receiving option, the best offensive threat on any given team. I know Derrick Henry just re- rushed for 2,000 yards, I know AJ Brown has broken out into basically a Julio Jones, light Julio Jones 2.0 kind of receiver, but it's still Julio Jones, you know, even in a, a 2020 season where he really wasn't the lone focal point of that offense because of Calvin or Calvin Ridley's uh emergence, he still had 771 yards in nine games. You know, he's coming off a year in 2019 where he was. He was awarded, or I guess he was voted into his uh, seventh Pro Bowl of the last eight years. He had 1,400 yards. He had six touchdowns. He's still a tremendously impactful receiver all over the field. He led the NFL in 2019 in touches or yards per touch at nearly 14 yards. He was 15.1 last year. He's such a good player, and you got him for a second and some? That's insane. That's just such tremendous value, especially for a team like the Titans where their biggest question mark was the depth of their receiver receiving core, losing Corey Davis to the New York Jets, really only having A.J. Brown and just a bunch of dudes, a bunch of jacks, uh, just a guy. So this is such a huge uh, improvement for that team overall and for that offense overall. I think uh, I think the Titans are clear, clear favorites to win that division now. I mean, the Colts with Carson Wentz, don't scare me. The Texans, absolutely don't scare me. And the Jaguars, I know we love Trevor Lawrence. Uh, they're not scaring me year one. I don't think there was ever any question the Titans were the favorites to win that division. But I think now... They're up there with the chiefs as not. I don't want to say they're with the chiefs because they're clearly a a step below them still, but they are one of those top tier contenders in the AFC.
0: Oh man, it is, is a fascinating position for both teams to find themselves. Uh, I will say it's, it's very confusing from a Falcons perspective because everyone said, Hey, you're high enough in the draft. That if you want to plan for the future, you could take a quarterback, mm-hmm. and instead they took they took a tight end. Right?
1: Am I making that up? Kyle Pitts. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they did take Kyle Pitts. Okay, I didn't have it in front of me when I began this thought and was hoping. And everyone said, "All right, you know, like we can pretend like your playoff window is still open. You know, like mm-hmm. we we can we can go with that if you want to say fuck it, let's just like." Bolster up the offense and keep what we got together, uh, make a big push, see what we got one more year, Matt Ryan. And then either we find some success magically, or we bottom out and we have, we're in the same spot we were this year. We just kind of punt this whole draft a quarterback thing till next season. And look, you know, it's tough to say that you are inherently absolutely wrong about that because everyone within an organization is tasked with, making the team better and winning um, whether we as fans would rather see a teardown or not uh, because it is almost always a faster way of getting better. Um, Oftentimes people's jobs depend on the team not being bad. So there might be a conflict of interest, but to do this feels very out of sync with the rest of it. Um, You know, again, it could be Julio's fucking done and it certainly sounded like that phone call with Shannon sharp that I'm not sure if Julio knew he was on TV for, um, I'm not saying he wasn't, it was very unclear. Um, but, uh, it certainly sounded like Julio was done. So this might've been like a, Hey, he's not playing for us anymore. Let's just cut our losses here. Or, Hey, he doesn't want to play for us anymore. Let's respect that choice and put him Mm -hmm. somewhere else. Um, it could be fucking anything, but for the Falcon, if you're a Falcons fan, if I was a Falcons fan anyway, I would very much so be like, we really should have taken a quarterback. Like we really should have taken a quarterback. Um, But. Oh, well.
1: And it's one of those things where it's going to be incredibly difficult for us to really make that kind of call until we see, Hey, how does Julio do? How does Kyle Pitts do early on? I know. Tight ends are an incredibly difficult position to transition to the NFL, as. And at the end of the day, we know that the Falcons are not in a contending position. They are in a rebuilding position, and they will be for a couple of years until they can get you know, their feet under them. Maybe you have a year or two of, you know, where the Steelers are, where okay, they completely rebuilt their defense over like a three-year span. They have a very aging quarterback who needs these offensive skill players around him to kind of, you know, make up for just the rust and the and what he's lost physically, you know, with age. But it's so hard to predict that you're going to be successful in doing that. And it's so hard to do that to begin with that. You can't expect anything like that. You can't expect to be able to succeed and, and have this perfect window. Obviously, they're going to try because that's their job. And obviously, if they're not going to be able to seriously contend with you know the team that they have because you take a look at their defense and, boy, it's, it's ugly. I just don't see how it's just so tough it's really so tough and I really don't want to make these kind of I know we had our hot take reactions after the draft and I know it's something that we always end up talking about but it's something you really can't say I mean Justin Fields can end up busting you know so many players can end up busting out of this draft class Kyle Pitts could bust along with Justin Fields Matt Ryan could have a resurgence year Julio Jones could be like, ah, shit, I'm 32. I'm old. I can't really perform these nagging injuries he has every year. They might catch up to him. There's so many different things to look at. And that's why we kind of have to look at process over results, like we always say. And if they stick with their plan and and they're able to find value with, with these guys and, and it works out for them, it's, I don't know. I'm at that point where it's like, I just, it's so hard to judge all these moves together. Um,
0: yeah. We uh, 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 will need a long-term perspective on it. That is the case with every trade ever made, um, especially the bigger ones with more players involved, with higher profile players involved because swapping some like minor leaguers for baseball or swapping some, depth pieces in the NFL just to kind of really make the center around draft picks. It's not that big of a deal. Like ultimately long-term perspective doesn't matter just because the short-term perspective, none of it matters. It, it, it's not about the players. It's about personnel churn, whatever it's about. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. I mean, we shall see. It's, it's an obvious net positive for the Titans immediately.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. No matter what,
0: even if Julio Jones is only 50%, of what a normal Julio Jones season would be. It's still a net positive for the Falcons veteran presence, a guy that will play you good football, smart wide receivers, which a lot of them are anyway. It's tough to make it very far at that position and not be like a smart guy, but like, uh, you know, your, your top flight wide receivers tend to have such an intrinsic understanding of the game that they can be valuable beyond their physical ability on the field and create some level of—I don't want to say chaos, because it's not chaos—but they they can provide some some weird coverage by having a better understanding of what the play is supposed to be and where they need to be, depending on what the situation is. Julio Jones will draw coverage if he wants to draw coverage to try, even if he's not getting the ball, especially especially if he's not getting the ball. He'll—he is a very smart player. So even if he can't physically do a lot of the shit, I'm sure that he can navigate the field well enough field well enough to still aid his team with the other wide receivers being able to carry more of the actual looks. But the Falcon side of it is going to I mean, first and foremost, we gotta find out what the fuck they do with that second round pick. Um <laughs> so
1: Which, you know, easier said than done.
0: Yeah, truly. It's
1: one of those things where like second round receivers lately have been, you know, a dime a dozen where you found some really great value a dime a dozen is the opposite idiom that i was looking for um i actually don't know if i know exactly what that means dime a dozen easy to find okay
0: low cost think about it one dime buys you a dozen it's under a penny per thing
1: oh literally it costs a dime a dozen yes okay all right i was thinking of like I have issues with idioms. We know this. I will just concede and just stop talking about it, even though I'm already talking about it way more than I should have. Yeah, we're um, still going, here we go.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's there's so many needs that the Falcons have all over the field. I think they do need to kind of take a step back at some point and see what kind of value they can get for Matt Ryan. Because I just don't know how we can kind of look at that Falcons team and see a path where he is worth more to them as their starting quarterback than as a trade piece to accumulate draft picks for a team that loses a guy because of injury, loses a guy because of whatever, just need to fill that role um, and are willing to trade for a veteran presence like him. You know, I think he would have been a great mentor for a guy like, justin fields that being said i that's obviously the choice i would have made you know we, we went over this during the draft and, and leading into the draft but we will see how it goes
0: we always will we are eternally watching yes um we see you when you're sleeping and we know when you're awake uh
1: ho ho ho
0: where did you want to see julio jones go titans titans
1: I think that was genuinely his best fit. Like I it would have been on the
0: Jets. Yeah. Well,
1: obviously. I knew I think... we
0: weren't gonna get him, but like mm-hmm. I wanted it.
1: I think it would have been really cool to see him on like the 49ers. I think Ooh. it would have been really cool to see him go to Actually I,
0: I changed my answer. I want I want that now.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would have been a really cool that been uh, really cool. Yeah, you know, like him and Debo Samuel, him and uh, Brandon Ayuk, that would have been a really good combo, especially with Kyle Shanahan there again. Um, but I do think for both teams, both need fit and, you know, eventual outcome of, of that team build, I think the Titans was just fascinating. Like the physicality of, you know, AJ Brown and Julio Jones, the physicality of, of Derek Henry, you know, having a resurgent Ryan Tannehill, I think that's going to be a really, really fun offense to watch. I actually want to look up their depth chart on offense now just to see what they're looking at.
0: I bet it's pretty nifty.
1: I bet it is, too. I don't even know who their number three receiver is. Josh Reynolds. Totally. Wow, this this receiving um, wide receiver room before Julio Jones arrived was A.J. Brown, Josh Reynolds, Cameron Batson, Dez Fitzpatrick, Nick Westbrook-Ikini, Chester Rogers, Cody Hollister, Mason Kinsey, Marcus Johnson, Fred Brown, Racy McCath, and Kalisha Lipscomb. Okay. Do you know a single one of those players in any capacity? Dude, like, no. Oh, my God. I recognize the name Chester Rogers, and I recognize the name Josh Reynolds.
0: You got yeah, you got me. I, I don't know either of those people.
1: Oh Jesus. This this was like low key. This easily could have turned into like a like if AJ Brown got hurt, like the Titans finish like with a losing record because Derrick Henry just can't do it all on his own and it's just such a one dimensional team.
0: Wow. Yeah, this might actually be I mean it was already a big trade. This could be a huge trade. Yeah. Jesus. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess we'll keep an eye on it. Um, before we get into uh, the sport that we have the most to talk about, the MLB, um, let's talk a little bit about golf, which we never talk about, uh, because there is some dramatics in that John Rahm, who was, I believe, minus 17 on the day yesterday. Uh, minus
1: we- 17 on the day? I so believe he birdied, that's where he, was. he birdied every single hole. I think he was not minus 17 overall. If anything, he was minus six on the day oh, or he sorry. was, sorry. he was, You're he right. had a six hole lead going into today, the final round.
0: As you can tell folks, I watch a lot of golf. Um, and he got pulled from the match while he was golfing because he had a positive coronavirus test. Um, why in the middle of the match? Well, um, the, his test at the beginning of the day, before everything started, came back positive, and they let him go out while they ran a retest, and that came back positive, too. Um, logistically, does that seem like the best thing to do? No, but...
1: So they actually waited until he finished on the 18th. So they, he finished his round, finished at negative you 18, know, six-shot lead actually would still carry a six-shot lead if, if it picked up and he just dropped right back in. Um, but they waited until he finished the round, and they gave him the news as he was walking off the 18th green. And, boy, I just... I don't even know how to respond to that. Like it. Like, it truly is... you so I watched the clip of him actually receiving the news um, and Jim Nance was kind of commentating and and was basically saying like, yeah, they, they said something to him. We don't know what was said to John Rahm. We just know that the second he heard it, it, it was just this devastating expression on his face. And, you know, they wouldn't let the cameras follow him into the clubhouse. They, you know, they made him put a mask on and everyone in, in his group and, uh, I don't know the timeline of, of when he got this test and, and when they found the results of, of what happened, but I I can't imagine this was the best way to do this. I just, I'm just i going to read into it more, just trying to find these little details um, you know, as we're going through this, but uh, th- this is just a wild turn of events because of the crazy lead he had going into this, because of everything going on this week. And just the fact that it was so sudden and out of nowhere.
0: Yeah. And again, I, I, I get the want for the second test, but it seems as though that should be the thing that lets him back onto the field instead or into the course, uh, instead of the thing that ultimately takes him off. Um, Additionally, I am interested in hearing how he ended up in this position.
1: So, he was. It was a contact tracing. Um, it was how this all started. Uh, he was in close proximity with someone who had COVID-19. So there was some contact tracing going through so they could get to the bottom of this and see who was uh, exposed. Um, because it was not a positive test and it was just contact tracing at first, he was allowed to con- continue playing. Because of a weather delay, they had to pick up I guess Friday or Saturday morning to finish the round and then continue on later on that day. The test he didn't take until the test you need to take after each round. So, because the round technically didn't finish until the morning session, that's when he took a COVID test. Mm. Then he started the later round before the test came back. And that's when this all kicked off because it was. Uh, yes, but I mean, he he had set the fifty-four-hole scoring record at the Memorial um, when this all went down. Just to give you a little bit more perspective on on why this is such a you know, this isn't just a a guy who had a couple-stroke lead going into it. It also was a historically great performance by John Rahm.
0: <sighs> now, John Rahm was asymptomatic and uh, was hanging out with some people yesterday when the news broke, and we were talking. And the first after all this first question we had was assuming the exact same situation but like last week when like this happened to Phil Nicholson mm-hmm. would they have said anything asymptomatic you know he's not he's not gonna get hurt I theoretically. think'
1: I think even if it was Phil after, you know, the third round at um, the PGA, I think they absolutely would have pulled him. I mean, yes, it's Phil Mickelson, but he only had a one-stroke lead. There was a bunch of guys right there behind him who were all within striking distance. It's not like he had a, you know, record-setting 54-hole, you know, tournament so far, championship so far.
0: But he was heading towards a record-setting age thing, which I will say has some weight
1: but in the moment at the time nobody really expected phil to carry through the final day nobody was expecting him they were expecting you know xander Shoffley, i believe it was they were expecting um you know all these other guys behind him like jordan speed to catch up and overtake him and they weren't expecting phil to hold that lead the far amount like the vast amount of money was on the field instead of the leader Phil Mickelson going into the final round of the PGA Championship and I think they absolutely would have uh, pulled him I just I don't think this is anything you know just because it's a guy like John Rahm and not Phil Mickelson or Tiger Woods Tiger Woods would be the only guy I would ever say would be given that kind of special treatment and and truly to have this be swept up under the rug. Um, I don't think there's anyone else in golf who would get that kind of special treatment and, and that kind of, you know, PR nightmare, you know, that risk to do so. So I think it absolutely would have happened uh, two weeks ago.
0: All right. Um, it's a shit situation, no matter how you look at it. And, Luckily, this happened to John Rom, who is a young guy, uh, not in terms of like, he'll be OK, young people can't die from this, but more in terms of uh he has a long career ahead of him. And while this is really, really shit, um, he has a lot of golf in front of him that he can look forward to. Um, this would have been, I think, a lot more devastating if it had happened to a guy like Phil Mickelson, only because it's like, well, there goes the end of your career. Mm-hmm. Um But. Yeah, I mean it again. It is it is shit, no matter how you want to look at it. So,
1: so I did look up some more details as we were talking. The second round that finished on Saturday morning is when he took that test. The positive result um, came back at 4:20 p.m., which was when he was still on the course. The PGA Tour medical advisor requested a. Uh, test confirming the original sample that uh, came back at 6.05 which was right as Ron was finishing the third round so it's not like they let him play on the course you know knowingly positive and all of that there he was finishing up on the 18th as they got that second uh, test back okay so PGA you get by this time you did this by the book Mm. at least as far as we know but fucking god damn it john bro let him play in like a fucking one of those cdc suits now it's like 100 degrees he would have died
0: oh yeah yeah he would not survive the day um anyway all right then i guess let's take it into the wide wide world of baseball um where shit done not be going down son uh <laughs> i guess let's start with probably the pettiest thing but also has real-world consequences um, that I think we've ever talked about. Um, Only because it is an interesting cross-section. It's like a meta conversation for us, personally, in a way. Anyway, last night, uh, I guess June 5th? Um, Dates is hard. Um, John Boy of John Boy Media got into a Twitter tiff, with a, a man known as Gary Sanchez Resurgence Bandwagon, which is a very long Twitter handle, but it does what he says it does. All he does is talk about how Gary Sanchez is underappreciated. I'm a fan. I think the same. But what am I? What do I know? Uh, anyway, there was a situation a couple of years ago where uh, John Boy employee uh, Kyle Condor got into a lot of shit on in Yankees Twitter because... Someone asked him something to the effect of, do you use the N-word? And he answered with something to the effect of, yeah. Um, And, you know, people were very mad, understandably. And uh, nothing happened. And it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And so this came up on Twitter the other day. Uh, Because Kyle Condor, for anyone who's unaware with the structures of John Boy Media, he runs the um, Twitter accounts for Talking Yanks and Talking Baseball. Um, And someone made a snarky comment about a shitty Talking Yanks post saying you should have fired Kyle Condor three years ago. And it led to this tiff. And basically everyone's gripe with John Boy, as he defended himself very poorly um, by quoting 8 Mile, the M&M movie. Um,
1: uh, people were, watched on uh, Juicing the Big Screen. Uh, Here our review there.
0: Yeah, check it out. Uh, basically saying it's a more nuanced conversation than just he did something wrong, whatever, um, and we handled it internally. We don't owe it to anybody to put our HR conversations out into the open um and that is a wrong but interesting conversation because at least wrong in my mind I guess I'll hear what Corwin thinks about it I understand that John Boy and Jake started their whole thing as like a hobby they both had other jobs did started as a hobby and then it got very, very popular. And now it's an entire company in a very real, very true sense. And, you know, without having any supposition that it would grow to that, I'm sure some of these and how rapidly it did, I'm sure it can be difficult to look at your employees who are people by and large you kind of hired off of Twitter um, as being, you know, employees and HR conversations being what they are and also corporate ethical responsibility and how to issue public statements as something that you have to actually do. Um, And I think it's, it's obviously like if Corwin and I became immensely successful, fingers crossed. Yeah. We're holding ourselves back. We know it. Um, Obviously, I assume we would be presented with many of the same challenges. We complain about our bosses at our daytime jobs being like, you know, we would encounter situations that we wouldn't know how to handle offhand because we've never encountered them. I'm sure that, that it, is, it is difficult and knowing what the right thing to do at any given time can be a challenge, especially when it's something that you never might have predicted. I'm sure that John Boy never predicted he would have to defend or how to have to handle an employee who admitted to using the N-word to an entire, to the world, to the entire world. Um, that's where he is though. And I think, well, first I want to hear from you Corwin, um, as someone who found out about this moments ago, um, I don't know. What do you think about the whole exchange? First of all,
1: um, I mean, so starting with the fact that an employee, do we know whether it was his personal account or a John It was
0: his personal account from the um, original Twitters.
1: Okay. So the way I have to look at this is I know John Boy Media is a company basically solely operating in social media. You know, they are privately owned. All of their funding comes from ads and sponsorships to which they promote on their videos and their podcasts. Uh, that's where they draw revenue unless they have other, you know, venture capitalists or, or angel investors, you know, coming in with investments. Um, so the fact that this was done on social media by one of their employees, um, A couple years ago i don't know i don't remember exactly how long uh it said it was is troublesome because it's not like this is you know an exxon or you know a ford or an apple where they create products and they can have an employee who is just an employee just a guy who is there nine to five and there's a level of anonymity anonymity uh with their employees um you know i listen to multiple john boy media podcasts weekly i watch a ton of their videos that they produce whether it be breakdowns or or john boy and jake tv or i am a, a you know a big fan of john boy media and all that they produce i had no idea who kyle condor was before this broke i've, I've never seen him in any videos he's not in anything i watch he's not a member of the on-screen personality outside of possibly you know office vlogs or, or cameo appearances here and there so i think in that regard he can be treated as just an employee not necessarily a public face and that's where i think there is this kind of gray area where the company itself is you know social media focused john boy jake Trevor Plouffe, you know, Chris Rose, the guys who are, you know, showing their face on video, you know, hosting these podcasts, they are the faces of the company would have different levels of, you know, a different bar that is set for them and and their opinions being the opinions of John Boyd Media. An employee in this regard, you know, Kyle Condor is just an employee. So from that sense, treating this as an, internal matter isn't something i think that needs to be a you know major point of contention here i think the fact that he is just an editor he is a you know i don't know his full role that's i assume he's an editor um based off of interactions that john boy had on twitter i think that's fine being an internal discussion and an internal conversation and internal matter This isn't saying, you know, he wasn't calling anyone the N-word on Twitter. He wasn't saying anything derogatory towards someone else. He was saying it is a word that he has used in the past and uses without any context. And as much as Josh and I are both vehemently against the use of the word with almost zero and essentially zero um, exceptions, without knowing the full story i can't sit here and say hey he should lose his job and be fired solely off of admitting to using a word um i mean i've read through the john board conversation that he had on twitter replying and basically saying a lot of what he was saying was self derogatory he likes to act black he you know was repeating a lot was said towards him on twitter Again, I don't know start to finish how this goes about or how this situation went about. I don't think someone should be fired because of a single tweet in that regard. If they did look into this and they did do their due diligence, which again, I can't assume that John Boy Media did. I also can't assume that they didn't. And it basically comes down to, do we respect John Boy Media as a company yes i would say we both do based off of that and what we've seen from john boy what we've seen from jake and how they've run other aspects of the business should we give them the benefit of the doubt that they handled this matter appropriately absolutely you know and at the end of the day they're a privately owned company they don't have shareholders that they are responsible to it's all privately owned they're only responsible to themselves as a company I don't think this needs to be a major, major discussion until and only if more information comes about. Um, so that's where I stand.
0: I am going to disagree, but I am also going to say that I think firing Kyle over this is the wrong move. Um, and cause it's not, it's not, to that degree, I don't think. Not everything that is offensive that someone says warrants, there, there, there's a sliding scale of punishment that meets the, you know, requirement of what was said or done. And to what extent that is, I don't think you or I are gonna have a real answer for it because we're not involved in the company and uh, it, it doesn't affect us in that way. Uh, I think it's an interesting conversation for us because we are find ourselves in the position where we are also podcasters. This is what we do, not for work, for fun. Uh, and again, it's it. I I can see how insane it might be to eventually have an employee while I do this. And I would want a fun, easygoing office. I wouldn't want to be like a boss guy. You know what I mean? I totally get how being a disciplinarian of sorts could be a really difficult position to be in, in general. And especially when it comes to something that would be a legitimate HR concern. So again, that's really where I I would focus on it. What I think that they're wrong about though, is the concept of issuing a statement. And I, because imagine the Houston Astros never issued a statement after that guy, that 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 junior GM, that assistant GM got fired after he was sexist towards yeah. the female reporters. That's a private company. That's a private company too. They don't have shareholders. Theoretically, they owe nobody nothing. And much the same way, they could just say, go fuck yourself. We're not going to say anything about it. We handled it internally. And I would be hard-pressed to imagine any of us would be okay with that. And that's the other thing that I think is difficult because I can't John boy and John boy media have released many statements about like, Hey, here's something cool. that's happening. We are starting the Chris Rose podcast or the Chris Rose rotation with Chris Rose. And like that stuff's fine. I I'll, I see how it can be super weird to have to transition into this kind of heavier subject matter coming from a medium that I think is built more towards, lightheartedness and you know like jovial accessibility but I do think they should have said something that said that they were aware or like whatever
1: the big difference for me between this and the Houston Astros incident was you know I don't remember the specific details I recall it being sexual harassment to some degree if you would if you can agree to that or or if you have a better idea of of what it was
0: it, it, sure that sounds right
1: that has a clear victim he victimized you know women within the organization he victimized people and fellow employees fellow people whereas this was merely a question that he answered and to that regard if the astros didn't release a statement after employees were sexually harassed after there was you know a sexual harassment incident and it was between multiple employees multiple people involving an employee in any capacity i would say absolutely ethically morally that is very wrong you can't just sweep that under the rug and just expect it to go away with this if it's I feel like there is a significant difference because again, nothing was directed towards anybody else. It was a question that was asked on Twitter. They answered it. It's not the answer you would want to hear in any capacity. And it's, you know, objectively the wrong opinion to hold. But I it's a it's an employee's personal account without a, you know, a victim in this exact incident. I don't know if I would necessarily would, I don't think it's nearly as necessary for them to have released a statement, even if we would have wanted them to address the situation head on and, you know, be like, Hey, you know, this isn't the right opinion. We can, we like Kyle. He's an excellent employee, but there are certain levels of ignorance and, Opinions that are ignorant that he has expressed on Twitter, and we're going to work with him to, you know, expand his understanding of what these words mean and and something to that capacity. I think would have been the perfect move. Right. Them not saying anything at all is definitely not the choice we would have wanted or we necessarily would have made, but I don't think it's something I can necessarily hold against them.
0: Well, I think for me, it's the idea of communication. It's the idea of we are going to be upfront, whether we have firm information for you or not, we're going to let you know. Because let's think about, again, one of your and my biggest gripes with our favorite sports leagues horrible communication skills, no ability, no transparency. Even if it's like, you know, hey, we don't know what's going on. Uh, MLB, we don't know why there's so many injuries, but we are aware that there are more injuries this year, and we're going to be looking into why that's the case. Um, something. Generic shit. The idea that you are to be, that there is a corporate effort somewhere in there to be honest with the people that, your stakeholders, right? Because think about, imagine, imagine if you were uh, a black fan of John boy media and they, here's a guy saying, you know, nothing directed at anybody, but still kind of dodgy. I think you'd want to imagine that John boy and Jake would issue a statement that shows that they're here. You, and that, you know, you matter to them, Well, they might not, you know, they're probably again, again, however they discipline Kyle, who gives a shit? That's, that's really so secondary to the conversation because it, It's Again, it's this idea of how do you scale up and where does that communication come from and how do you do it? And I would think, especially if I was running an organization where one of the main things I did was criticize another organization, (laughs) again, very much so justly, everyone has every right to complain about MLB. They are awful Mm -hmm. at what they do. But if I'm going to run a company that very, very largely criticizes other companies and how they handle their business, I would think it's very much so in my best interest to make sure that I am taking care of my shit at home. For one, my own credibility. For two, because it's the right thing to do. And for a third thing, so that people who want to get in or are already involved, you know, listeners, people who buy merch, whatever, are heard and understand what this is about. And again, that's not to say you have to assign any severity to it, because like that generic statement that you kind of just like made off the cuff. Yeah, perfect. Um, We're aware of what one of our employees said online the other day. We understand it was very hurtful to many people. We apologize for that. It's not our beliefs. We'll be handling the matter internally. Generic totally fucking, nope. yeah, generic corporate speak. Who gives a shit? It Because it's this. The reason that he got into this this little tiff on Twitter is because they never said anything. And they didn't have to say much. No. But they never said anything. And I, and, yeah. And to some
1: extent, I get why, I get the choice not to do it. I'm not saying I would make that choice. I'm not saying I agree with the choice, but I understand why. I understand not wanting to bring further attention to an employee's personal beliefs and i understand that when you do want to handle this internally and avoid that kind of spotlight a lot of people wouldn't have followed kyle on twitter he's not necessarily one of you know the faces of john boy media like i said i didn't know who he was as a john boy fan so i wouldn't follow him on twitter so i think there is a much 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 smaller part of the John boy fan base that would have ever even seen those comments, let alone, you know, the number like compared to the people that actually are fans of John boy Yeah, at the time. It was much more
0: just a segment of Yankees, Twitter that that would have seen that shit.
1: Right. So I can understand why, Hey, this is a very small incident now, regardless of what was said and, and you know, the actual incident itself, it's not something that's widely spread it's not something that's widely known we don't want this to become a major incident to drag you know the name of the company and the company itself through the mud because of you know people's reactions when we release a statement from our company account we're going to handle this internally we're going to deal with this internally we just can't you know the whole the reason why PR exists is to manage these kind of um, reactions from fans from uh, stockholders from shareholders and to manage that reaction i i can 100 percent agree why in their mind the best way to approach this is to completely limit the amount of people that are even there to react and just keep moving on with where the company was moving especially at a time when they were much more vulnerable as a company uh, to that kind of uh, negative press.
0: It is, um, it is very interesting. Very small. Again, I don't want to make this sound like this is anything huge, because um, again, whatever happens with it, out, out of out of on the 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 sliding scale of racially charged comments, this is definitely near the bottom, um, which. Is that saying much? I have no idea, but I would think that of all the things, especially in the sports world we see on a day-to-day basis of how horrible people can be, this doesn't really scratch the surface too much. But it is an interesting case point because if you think about sports podcasts, John Boy's kind of the first guy to get up on the top by himself. You know, I think when a lot of people start podcasts, the John boy way of like path to growth is like, you know, the fantasy it's like what you'd want to do. There are other sports podcasts, but a lot of them existed as a corporate entity. A lot of the barstool podcasts have the backing of barstool. So you have that institution as well as that corporate entity to handle HR and PR and those types of things.
1: And I know like barstool to an extent started exactly, you know, in a similar vein where it was one guy, you know, building up handful of guys handful of guys expanding 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 the podcast aspect, uh, i should say the podcast aspect didn't start until significantly later into the company's existence company's uh development and until after they already had a lot of outside investment whereas john boy's been doing this for years now and, and just
0: corporate like, infrastructure which exactly i, yeah. I think because i think that's the the thing and really this is this is a conversation again, more so about, in my mind, what growth looks like from what what growth looks like from doing this. You know, if if you listening at home are going to start a podcast, you're obviously doing that for yourself. But you know, much you're like at when you home, play-
1: wanting to start a podcast, don't stop trying to cut into our market share.
0: Yeah, just listen to us, bitch. Um, <laughs> But well, obviously, you know, the same way, like when you play an instrument you go, like, yeah, I'm not fooling myself that I'm going to be playing MSG, but like at the same time, like I could imagine myself playing MSG. And the th- wacky thing about that is that some musicians grow up to play MSG. Um, and what that change looks like, I think, especially in the, the case of Jumbo, it can be very sudden to where I'm sure they have an HR person. Maybe they don't, though. I would think that it would be smart for them to have a PR team. They might not because they've been doing a lot of it themselves. You know, there's, there's an infrastructure that while it can be very grating as someone who works in the corporate world does also exist for a purpose and to expand at such a pace and to have to handle some things that you probably weren't anticipating handling. And if you had done this at a corporation you definitely never would have had to handle. It can be odd. And I think this is a learning experience for John boy media. I would, again, on a very small scale, don't want to make this sound big, uh, but about how you communicate issues with the public, which again is something you don't one consider when you're starting a podcast and to probably anticipate yourself doing much anyway. Right. Um, so it, it's an interesting, again, meta conversation for, for us as, you know, well, indie podcasters, but still podcasters.
1: Yeah. You have any oh, final man. thoughts on the matter? I did. And then I was like, yeah, it's, it's not really, I was just going to say my company doesn't even have an HR department. You know, like they've been around for 35 <laughs> years and, and
0: boy, do they need actively
1: <laughs> are successful financially, but yeah, they, they do need one, but. Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh so no, nothing else about this. Um yeah, just it's an it's an interesting isn't it's an interesting minor story in the world. But anyway, uh let's continue the talk about the baseball universe. Um because a couple days ago, MLB um made more of a statement about how they were anticipating cracking down on pine tar usage. So apparently the owners came together a handful of days, I forget the date and I don't see it in the article I have up, uh, basically to say, deciding we want to crack down. And then Rob Manfred was like, yeah, 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 let's do it. Um, And and then of course, when baseball wants to do something it magically can happen very fast. Uh, and now MLB has informed owners uh, just Thursday that it is um, going into their next phase of banning foreign substances, which would apparently include a 10-day suspension, which for starting pitchers is essentially two starts. Um, if you have a 6 man rotation, it's, I guess, one start. Um, but, Corwin, you look prime to say something.
1: I just, I want them. It was this whole thing of, we had this discussion at the beginning of the season. And basically what it came down to was, hey, one way or the other, we just want them to stick with it. And we just want them to make a clear, concise, decisive decision about are we going to allow it? Are we going to ban it? And if we do ban it, actually do something about the people that use it. And the whole everything what we've heard so far through the season was we are going to monitor this. We're going to study this. And at the end of the season, going into next season, that's when we're going to take action against players. And here we are, not even halfway through, not even a third of the way through the season of the year where we're not going to do anything about it. We're just going to monitor and, oh, okay, okay, we're actually going to start doing this this year and start making these moves. And it's, I agree with them doing it. I just wish that they had made this kind of decision before the season starts or made it clear that they were going to have this option based off of their investigation this season.
0: Yeah. um, Again, it's another case of MLB just shooting themselves in the foot. And I, I, again, I think this is a great idea. I think cracking down on the sticky stuff usage is act would do more for what MLB wants to see out of baseball than any of their more significant changes, like banning the shifts, increasing base sizes, whatever. If you want more contact then forcing pitchers to not use illegal substances, which would force them to probably throw a little bit softer because they might not have the command they have while being able to throw it literally as hard as they can while also reducing some movement since they won't have the, um, advantage with their uh, spin rate might end up actually leading to some more straight and slower balls. Which what
1: what would I be saw from uh, a couple of the ESPN and Sports Illustrated articles that I was reading about this was guys are throwing so hard, for so much because they can throw every single pitch at a hundred percent every single time they throw it because they know they're going to have that control. They know they're going to be able to put it where they want it you know, within reason with some confidence because of the substances they're using.
0: And, you know, I know it's often quoted that like batters prefer the pitchers to have the sticky stuff so that, you know, they know that the pitchers are using good control. I think that's a lie. And I think it's a lie that batters say because they know their pitchers are also using sticky stuff. And why would you listen to them? Mm -hmm. Um, And also just because they say that, fuck them, they're wrong. (laughs) Like they are absolutely wrong because I bet you anything that if they had the choice between facing a 101 mile an hour pitch up and in from a reliever in the zone, in the zone, not like up by the head in the zone, but like top right-hand corner for, you know, uh, for a batter, I bet they would much rather have that pitch be thrown 96 miles an hour because the pitcher can't do that correctly without hitting them. And, I bet you tell you what, if enough batters get hit, eventually pitchers will have to adjust to the fact that their shit doesn't play the same way and they will throw differently. And that seems to be what we want to happen if we're going to start talking about moving the mound back. So mm-hmm. I this seems like the most obvious solution. But again, classic MLB to do this, not even in the middle of the year.
1: And just to even go back to that statement of like, oh, we're okay with them using foreign substances so that they can have control, they're not hitting batters, you know, we're okay with it to an extent. That was also something we've been hearing for like a decade where...
0: Oh, forever, yeah.
1: This isn't exactly the way they've been using it in the past. You know, this isn't them using the rosin bag on the mound. This isn't them just, you know, using a little sunscreen, using a little rosin, a little something here, something a little there, just to... Get a little bit more grip on it. This is an explosion of, you know, highly controlled, you know, um, mixtures that are adding hundreds upon hundreds of RPMs to their fastballs, their curveballs, their sliders, to the point where this is nowhere near the kind of abuse that we've seen from uh, pitchers in the past handful of years. And you know, in these articles, you know, teams are hiring chemists to develop the perfect mixture for their players to use. And pitching coaches are telling them to use these materials in any possible mixture that works for them because otherwise you're behind the curve and and you're going to fall behind if you're not. And it's it's like an arms race where it's a cold war of sorts where nobody's taking action because MLB is saying, oh, we're going to see, we're going to wait and see, we're not going to make any decisive action. So everyone is just rushing out to see how far they can take this as quickly as possible just to gain that competitive edge.
0: And I I do think it's a confluence of things. I do think, you know, in addition to the fact that it, at least it feels as though the um, aggressiveness of the sticky stuff and its widespread usage has gotten more aggressive and gotten more widespread, it is coming at the same time as, um, you know, pitch shaping, pitch design has gotten more prevalent and become more employed by teams, which is a good thing. It's much the same way as when MLB changed the ball in 2017, they were doing it at the same time as more players were coming up through the system that had gotten told about how to adjust their swings to get more loft, to try to get balls more in the air and lead towards more home runs instead of going towards a more traditional inside out swing. And -hmm. those two things, together led to the gigantic jump the baseball was a obviously a very big part of it but it also didn't help that so many batters were also doing the more upward swing And i think we're probably getting a lot of that here as well you know basically what i'm saying is pitchers are also very good mm-hmm. but as pitchers get better the idea of that control gets less so hey don't hit me and becomes more so like i'm going to throw a slider that slides so fucking far my manager is going to catch it in the dugout and at some point you have to look at the quote-unquote control that pitchers have and say that is too much um is this going to be a perfect science absolutely not you know sunscreen is legal because pitchers can't, can't just it, be yeah. thrown out. yeah they can't just be thrown out there to burn to death
1: yeah um, hey uh we're actually going to ban sunscreen so we're going to force players to have a higher risk of skin cancer because uh, we, we just don't want to risk you mixing it with rosin.
0: Right, it, which would be uh, insane, which is why it'd be, it'd be illegal, which is why they couldn't do it. Um, so whatever MLB solution is going to be here, it's probably going to be a very lengthy list of approved and, and not approved substances, much the same way they have a very lengthy list of approved and not approved substances for PEDs, even things that wouldn't be considered PEDs are considered PED. Like you, if you take the wrong form of diuretic, that is going to be considered a PED because it can be used to flush PEDs out of your system to help you pass a PED test. So that will go on the exempt list. And I'm sure MLB is going to end up having some very goofy list like this where there'll be like an MLB, MLB approved MLB-approved brand of sunscreen mm-hmm.
1: so that they can have the Absolutely. exact
0: chemical makeup of it to prove it. But- and I,
1: I could easily see them at some point developing their own mlb pitch grip substance that is now the only thing you're allowed to use and just eliminating the rosin bag altogether or modifying what the rosin is or, or um, what's in the rosin bag so that it can't be mixed with sunscreen or something in that regard and just Again, just increasing monitoring. I'm sure that they can have, you know, an umpire, a guy, you know, in every stadium for every game, basically just with binoculars staring at the pitcher at all times, just saying, all right, where's the foreign substance?
0: Well, and so this brings us back to the regulations that MLB is going to be laying down. Uh, The article I read said that this should be implemented rather soon. They said it is likely to be implemented and officially announced uh, prior to the All-Star game on July 13th. Um, but they said that the umpires are to should or players teams should expect umpires to confiscate um eight to ten balls or hats or you know some piece of uniform um per game Mm -hmm. and if any of those come back after the pitching outing after the game as having evidence of an illegal substance on it then that, at that point, that pitcher will receive their 10-game suspension, which, again, is why I said it's very likely that pitcher is only going to miss one or two starts, maybe more likely just the one, um, depending on how good they are. Because if you do it after the start, then – well, then they weren't pitching tomorrow anyway. Right. So it doesn't do too much to that effect. Um, does this seem like the best way of doing it? No. For – a lot of reasons, again, mainly because it will have already happened. So, did you really do much? And 10 games isn't a lot. But at the same time, I guess they have to start somewhere. And if I'm going to be asking for a crackdown, I, I have to expect it to be somewhere. But um, actually, before I move on, Corwin, uh, what do you think about this whole 8-10 to 10 per team per game things confiscated that plot then leading to a 10 game suspension.
1: I have to think this is a temporary fill in measure. You know, this is a band-aid until they can really decide on some definitive length and definitive action plan for the f- next season. So for the remainder of this season, okay, you know, you use any foreign stuff since that's two starts. Okay. Um you know it's not perfect obviously because it's it's just the way it it has it's there's no way that they could implement some really excellent you know advanced plan mid-season when they weren't planning to address it this season in any capacity so as much as i'd love to shit on mlb and hate the mlb just for the way they handle these kind of matters i can kind of accept that all right this isn't perfect but it's probably the best we're going to get for right now
0: uh yeah i i I think that's kind of the right answer um going forward it'll be interesting to see what this becomes um i think the final stage of it is like what court and i've been saying for months which is eventually there will be some mlb approved substance like eventually what happened with the rosin bag um, for either sticky stuff or they, I guess, ban it altogether, which I think is a lot less likely, but mm-hmm. could also happen. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see who the first guy is that gets suspended and will probably be Trevor Power. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to make a headline, just just for the just for the memes
1: I think there's actually a really good chance it isn't Trevor Bauer just so that they avoid that kind of like, Oh, it's Trevor Bauer. They're just out to get Trevor Bauer, Trevor Bauer, Trevor Bauer, Trevor Bauer. And they just are like, all right, we're going to go with uh Minnesota twins. Number Ten three to reliever. Oh, no, like okay. a, some yeah. like really nobody reliever. It's like, ah, oh, we got him. Okay. Trevor Bauer, you're next. Let's go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just for the credibility. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, It'll also be interesting. what an to
1: get... oxymoron MLB credible.
0: <laughs> yeah. Those two words don't go together very often. Um, it'll, it'll also be interesting to see if teams like make decisions around it, like 10 games, like, you know, we really need to win this one to like take our division, void the wild card. Like, you know what? Sure's sure. Sir. Lather up, bitch. You're going, you're going out there slathered in pine tar and we'll just miss you through the rotation. One time.
1: Hey man, we know that if something happens in the World Series, nothing's gonna fucking happen. All right, guys. It's oh, just no. a piece of metal. You're... Yeah, it's just a piece of metal. It's like, all right, so game seven. Okay, here's a fifty-five gallon drum of pure pine tar.
0: Honestly, Dip no, the ball
1: in it as you go up there.
0: Not even game seven, because think about it. After game I mean, game, f- game four. Game four. Well, no, because game two, you could pitch game seven. Game three, you might be able to pitch Game seven, but probably. So, all right, Game, game your three, game four, three,
1: five, six. Yep. Yeah,
0: yeah, and seven. Game, games three through seven are the Pine Tar games now yep. in the World Series because yeah, you're right. Like, oh no, I'm suspended for ten days. What will I do? I wasn't gonna pitch any fucking way. Like, fuck off.
1: Oh god, it's almost as if the Astros scandal was majorly important, not just in this case, but. To set a precedent for future endeavors.
0: Yeah, actually, you know what? That's kind of interesting because what if um, I don't, I don't want to pick Jacob Degrom because I really like him and he's very good. Um,
1: I watched him last night against the Padres.
0: Oh my God, That's Padres! What if Joe stupid. Musgrove? What if Joe Musgrove got caught with um pine tar, and he was like, ah, yeah, but like Jace Tingler told me to do it. Would MLB then suspend Jace Tingler? Like if MLB drags their feet on this? Because the whole thing with the Astros MLB thing...
1: MLB drags their feet with this.
0: When? Because the, the whole thing with the Astros thing is, you know, MLB didn't act very fast, and then players were on other teams, and they were like, ah, what are we going to do? <laughs> and then they just, like, you know, kicked the manager out of baseball for one short year and um, kicked the GM out of baseball for one short year. And that was it. I mean, so mm. if if... MLB comes Honestly. for Chris Paddock and Chris Paddock just goes, Jace Tingler told me to do it. I mean, they have a precedent.
1: Yeah. In all honesty, Carlos Beltran was probably the one who got the shortest stick. Shortest end of the... Yeah, shortest today. end of the stick. Yeah. Because he was the only one to like genuinely lose his career over it.
0: Yeah. Best best manager in Mets history. Never lost a game. RIP. Fucking um, A. Yeah. Oh man, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I'm sure it won't be good, but we will find out. Um, I do have one final thing. It wasn't what I had talked about on Thursday, but I am curious about it. There's been a lot of Giancarlo Stanton discourse as of late, um, and I wanted to share some results of his past three seasons so far with the Yankees. In it, so he got traded to the Yankees right before the 2018 season. So his career with the Yankees is a, a full 2018 season. Um and then you know 2019, 2020, and 2021. So this is his fourth year with the Yankees. Uh what do you think his combined war with the Yankees is?
1: I'm gonna be honest, I missed the the only part of the sentence I missed was the name of the player you were discussing.
0: Giancarlo Stanton.
1: Oh, uh career war with the yankees over four seasons
0: over four seasons yeah well including this one so you know this has only been 60 some odd games all together of a team games anyway
1: uh 6.4
0: uh
1: 5.7 hasn't played many games
0: No. Do you know what his pace is per 650 plate appearances, which is one full season? So his season pace?
1: Like 10 and a half.
0: 3.6. What? 3.6, which means if he played full seasons, he would be worth 3.6 war per season. His war with the Yankees by season in 2018 was 4.4, which to that point was uh, middle of the road for him. Season after that 0.4 season after that 0.6 and season after that, which is this current season so far 0.4. Uh, that's
1: just, that doesn't make any sense.
0: It doesn't. I was very surprised when I saw that because my initial reaction was Giancarlo Carlos Stanton has been very, very good. I, I, you know, obviously he's been hurt a lot yeah. um, and the DH part doesn't really help his war um, but uh, it's tough to argue with them facts. Um, Just for example, just to or, sorry, I guess not for example, to finish painting the picture, his slash on over that time is still very good. It's 264 349 500 that's an 849 ops and a 130 ops plus that is very good but it seems as though there's still a lot of the production that is lacking that shows up in other places and the reason I'm I'm going to war here is the dh position should really, I think, only be occupied if you're an American league team by either an amazing hitter who is a god awful fielder, Nelson Cruz, or pitcher, David Ortiz. Um, and if you don't have that guy, because that's not John Call of he's a competent fielder, mm-hmm. it should be the half day off rotation of your best hitters to keep them fresh. And I'm not sure that that's the best use for Giancarlo Stanton. But the problem is he's injury prone, which I think is fair to say at this point in his career.
1: At this point, like just looking at his baseball reference page, like he had one season under like 115 games, 120. I honestly forgot the stat number already. Uh, Yeah. He has one season under 115 games in his entire career. Until he came to the Yankees. And he's had back-to-back seasons of under 25 games.
0: Yeah. It's uh it's been a challenge for him. And I so just for just for an example of where he ranks since 2018, Giancarlo Stanton has the 112th most position player war in MLB. 112th. That's very bad. That puts him behind D.D. Gregorius, Freddie Galvis, Trey Mancini, who missed a season with cancer, Gio Urshela, Aaron Hicks, Jason Hayward. These are all, by the way, just in the bottom hundred. If we go up to the top of the, the leaderboard, it's names that we all expect to be there. Mookie Betts has the most war over that period with 23.7. Mike Trout, Alex Bregman, Matt Chapman, Nolan Arenado, Marcus Simeon for a surprise number six there. Uh, Trevor Story, Javi Baez, Xander Bogarts, in the number 10 for the most war from 2018 to 2021 position player, uh, Christian Yelich. Uh, Aaron Judge, by the way, number 13. Um, but Stanton's sitting there at 100, what did I say, 127, 117, some shit like that. It was low. I don't remember. Um, and it's a tough position. So I, I I get Yankee, a lot of Yankees fans' frustrations because from like an overall production standpoint, that is not very much. But from like an OPS WRC plus perspective, that's quite a bit. I, I sound confused because Corwin left, which I guess if you're watching this on the internet, you will see. But if you're listening to this, you will not. Um, and I I don't know how you how you move forward with that. Because if you want more production out of him, in theory, you would say, oh, we will just play him in the field for for more. But if he's hurt, you can't do that. And if he's hurt, it means he can't consume plate appearances, which means he's not going to have the opportunity to get you the additional value. But when he does, he's good. He's on it. Um. And it's not like his contract ends anytime soon, which was one of the aspects of this, that why I thought to bring it up, Um, you know, his contract doesn't end until 2028. It's just the final year of his contract. Um, So I I don't know. I don't know what, if anything you do with Giancarlo Stanton, I get the frustration, but because. It's not like um, it's not like you have an injury-prone guy that if they don't make it back on the field, doesn't matter. Like right now, Aaron Hicks would be great to have on the field, but the Yankees' offense doesn't hinge upon Aaron Hicks. This
1: isn't a Greg Bird situation for the
0: Yankees. Right. Yeah, this is not a Greg Bird situation. Jericho um, Stanton actually matters to the Yankees' lineup. And again, when he is in the Yankees' lineup... Consistently, he is a very good part of the Yankees lineup. He is a very good, again, only 5.7 war over four seasons, but a 130 OPS plus. That's a good fucking hitter. The problem is he's just not on the field a lot. And I don't, I don't know necessarily what you, what you do. I I get looking at the comparisons, you know, if you look at um the pitcher war, because you say, oh, the Yankees could have taken another pitcher, you know, Marcus Stroman. 5.9 WAR in the, in uh, these past four seasons thus far. You could have gotten him if you wanted to when the 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 Blue Jays traded him away. Um, fucking Kyle Gibson has 6.3 WAR. Granted, recently it's been quite bad, so I get that. You Darvish 7.4. You could have gotten him from the Cubs if you wanted to. They gave him away for a song. Uh, you know there there are there are, same thing with Blake Snell 9.3. Again, I know he's having a rough season, but ugh, yeah, oh well. Beautiful
1: having this weekend.
0: Where's your microphone?
1: I put it down. I forgot about it. I <laughs> had a beautiful attic this weekend. Oh uh, yeah. You yeah. said that, and I, I, and I was like staying there. I was like looking at my hands like, oh, shit, you're not wrong. I just don't have a microphone.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, good. I was very confused. I thought it, that's what caused your computer to crash, but okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's 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 a tough spot, and I actually didn't realize kind of what it was until I looked at looked at it. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. What would you do if you if you were the Yankees GM?
1: Uh, trade him to the Padres for Jerks and Profar. <laughs>
0: don't go fuck yourself.
1: It's one of those things where he is more value to the more valuable to the Yankees being on their team than he would be to trade. You're not going to get anywhere close to his actual value because of the recent injury history, because of you know the size of his contract if you were to move him. I think you just kind of need to accept that you need him there in that lineup as much as you can. The way that they've been treating him uh, with his playing time, where I know John Boy went off on one rant, where they DH'd him, he did not get a single base hit on any of his four plate appearances. So he wasn't running the bases, didn't spend any time on base, didn't spend any time in the outfield and then rested him the next day saying, you know, we can't, we don't want to overexert him. And it's like, all right, he didn't fucking do anything the previous game. Why are you resting him? It's not like he exerted himself in any way. So I think the Yankees are partially to blame with the inconsistency in playing time that he's been getting when he is healthy. Um, I think they kind of just need to get him in the lineup, keep him DHing. if you really think that him playing the field is a major injury concern for him and just assume and keep moving forward with the expectation that he will heal. I mean, it's not like he's breaking bones. It's not like he's tearing, you know, exceptional amount of muscles. It's just, you know, strains, sprains, things like that where it's soft body tissue, so it is a lingering long-term recovery until you are truly 100%, and you just need to wait for him to get there. And you can't rest him and put him on the IL until he is truly 100% because of how much of an integral piece of that offense he is. So you just got to accept that he needs to play most days, almost every day, and just get him out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I will disagree with Jimmy on that only because the Yankees opted not to give Stanton a rehab stint, which that I would be willing to say the Yankees were wrong about. And in place of a rehab stint, they've been opting to do this long rests, major league rehab thing. Which okay, I I they're, like they're trying to ease him back in without the rehab stint which again i don't understand but if that's their approach then what they're doing makes sense i I wouldn't have opted for this version of it but
1: okay like if he's out there playing right field and he plays a game and strikes out four times doesn't get on base okay at least he's out there you don't want to have him running around the outfield too much but he's walking up to the batter's box swinging five times and then walking back and he did that four times that game It's not like there's anything there that is putting him at risk of aggravating injury outside of swinging a baseball bat, which if swinging a baseball bat is a serious concern for re-aggravating that injury, he should be on the IL because we're here to play baseball. And that is like the lowest level of exertion you could possibly do. Playing I'm not
0: saying I understand the Yankees' choice to go this route with it. I would have just stuck him in Scranton until he was ready for And so that actually leads me into the, what I was going to say as being what I would do is I think the Yankees have to approach Giancarlo Stanton the same way the Red Sox approached Dustin Pedroia for the last like three years of his time with the Red Sox, which is we might not get him back really ever. So we're not going to build the team – assuming we have a second baseman in Dustin Pedroia. And then if he does come back, great. We've got Dustin Pedroia. Awesome. But we're not going to build our team with a hole at second base. We are expecting Dustin Pedroia to fill. And it seems like the Yankees have done that with Stanton, which is to say we are going to build our offense with a hole at DH that is meant strictly for Giancarlo Stanton. And that clearly isn't going to work if he's hurt this much. And it's not his fault he's hurt this much. It's not Aaron Boone's fault that he's hurt this much. It's not the Yankees' fault he's hurt this much. It's no one's fault he's hurt this much. But that doesn't mean you don't plan around that. And I think at this point, that's what I would end up doing. You're muted.
1: The problem there is uh, it's not like – if you have an extra second baseman to fill in for Dustin Pedroia, when Dustin Pedroia comes back, you can move him around the infield. You can move him to shortstop. You can move him, you know, to the outfield. He could be a utility guy for you. When it's the DH, that's not really a player you can expect to move around much.
0: This is the other point at which I would agree with you, which is if he's healthy, put him in the fucking outfield. What are we doing? Put put him in the outfield. Mm-hmm. Let the DH be the rotational spot for your good hitters that you want to give a half day off to. Right. And again, and that's, and that's how I would build it. I would build it where Giancarlo Stanton in the lineup is great, but we are going to build a team where if he's not in the lineup, it's still a good lineup. And right now the Yankees do not have that.
1: Put him in, like, is there a reason why you wouldn't want Mike Stanton in left field?
0: it's because a lot of his injuries have been leg based. So they want to avoid like aggravating. I think running, his hamstrings,
1: catches, yeah.
0: but it, I also think that's kind of silly because I mean, you could put him in right field, right. field's not very big at Yankee stadium. Right. Field is very small at Yankee stadium.
1: I'm only saying left field because of no, how much you, Aaron judge has locked down right field and, and right, has I know, that I presence. T- yeah.
0: Totally understand what you mean. Um, it is very much so Aaron judges like position, but at the same time, if we're not going to be sentimental about who plays what position, because it's baseball in 2021, why should we be? Mm -hmm. Um, I think right field when you're home and then left field when you're away, because left field at Yankee stadium is kind of big, but, um, left field at most other ballparks is small and right field at Yankee stadium is small. Um, so if you want to cut down on, and again, if he is not healthy enough to play the outfield, don't assume he is healthy enough to run the bases
1: mm-hmm. that,
0: right. that that
1: <sighs> it, it's not something uh, we've said what we've had to say, or at least I have.
0: Right. And, and I think that part of the injury management thing is what is frustrating about it. And I know that it also comes to the fact that MLB teams as a, as a whole, I think have greatly adjusted how they do like load management and injury management over the past couple seasons the past five seasons or so to where not only do you see a lot more off days but you see a lot more willingness to use the il spots you know or not spots the il um it's not fantasy it's real life um so that players can you know kind of take their actual rest when they need it and then make the rehab starts and then come back. There's been a lot more willingness to use the IL, whether that's out of need or out of um, something that teams know about rehab that we don't um, whatever, but it, there's clearly been a lot of changing there and I think, uh, hopefully there's another adjustment with how to handle Giancarlo because uh, it is a very unfortunate situation. But, uh, but yeah. Just having positive now, you com-
1: I miss positive conversations about baseball.
0: Um, Ooh, Tatis is awesome
1: lately. He is awesome.
0: Vlad Guerrero Jr. is having a stupid good season.
1: He's also awesome.
0: Uh, the Braves are a mess, but Ronald Acuna is great. He's pretty cool. Uh, well, it's good. Marcus Simeon is a fascinating story and I'm very happy for him, but I'm also a little bit sad for him because depending on what happens, he might be super hot at the worst time to be a free agent shortstop because there might be like nine amazing free agent shortstops. Um, but
1: You're not still. wrong that. <laughs> it's uh it's crazy how important the position is literally the most important position on the field outside of the pitcher and it's like you are going to get whichever one you want this year if you are team bidding
0: seriously it's like oh man uh, marcus simeon i'm finally going to hit free agency off of a really good season oh what's that carlos correa is also hitting free agency that's okay i'll be like the second best shortstop on the free oh Corey seager is also hitting free agency shit <laughs> Fuck, that's not good.
1: Trevor Story. Oh, that's right. Trevor Story is also da. there. Javi Baez.
0: Oh, my There's God. so yeah. many. Yeah. There are
1: so fucking many.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Like Marcus
1: Simeon could be, like, the seventh best shortstop in free agency this year.
0: Man, it is, it, is a, it is scary hours if you are Marcus Simeon. Granted, though, he is playing himself into a wonderful contract, and he certainly deserves it. Um, but, yeah, it is... Uh, He's he is going to be nobody's first choice, and it will not be his fault.
1: All right, let's see spot track. Twenty twenty two shortstop. We have Marcus Simeon, Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Brandon Car- Brandon Crawford. Crawford. Jesus, Carlos Correa, Javier Baez, Carlos
0: Car- Correa. Correa, Carlos Correa,
1: <laughs> Andrelton Simmons, Miguel Rojas, Jose Iglesias, Freddie Galvis, and other guys that don't matter nearly as much. Marcus Simeon's also the second highest paid player on this list. He had a one-year contract. Trevor Story. But still, he's making $500,000 less than Trevor Story. Yeah. Yikes.
0: But, yeah, man, this is – uh, Man, like, some team is going to have to, like, settle for Marcus Simeon, and that is just a phenomenal position to be in.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh there's also some big name second baseman that could absolutely cut into that middle infield jerks and Profar, Chris Taylor, Cesar Hernandez, Jonathan Shoup, Donovan. You will Shana. never get that name, right? Nope. It was it. scope scope scope. That's my first thought. And I was literally like, no, I know it's not scope. I always get this wrong.
0: Jed Lowry's 38. Jesus. Fuck out of here! He's thirty-eight. No, he's not thirty-eight. Look it up. I am looking it up. He's 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 going to be thirty-eight by the next offseason. That's insane. He was
1: born April seventeenth, nineteen
0: eighty-four. That's wild. Uh, Jed, Jed Jed Lowry, the player I also wanted instead of DJ LeMahieu, <laughs> um mm. when the Yankees first signed DJ, I was like, damn, yeah. I really wanted Jed Lowry. But oh well. No. Also. <laughs>
1: There's a lot of free agents this year. I am
0: begging. I am begging the Yankees to stop batting DJ LeMahieu leadoff. Please. We've had enough.
1: He's been bad this year.
0: He's been very bad this year. And it's, it's wild because it's like, if you, if you show that you are willing to move people up and down based on their performance, which is exactly what you should be doing. That Mm -hmm. should also apply to the leadoff spot. He has not been good. He has a 91 OPS plus. That is not great.
1: It's exceptionally bad. For him. Of
0: course. It's fine if he's batting like sixth or seventh. But not oh for
1: the New York Yankees leadoff hitter.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, just just to just to poke DJ LeMayhew in the eye a little bit. Um sorry, DJ, but it it is what it is. Um his on base percent is three thirty nine. That's that's not wonderful. Um, his WRC plus is 92. Uh, it, 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 and and his, his slugging is 329. Mm. Slugging is 329. Mm. Slugging is three. Don't, I can't say it like enough that. times. Don't like that. It's very, very not good. It's very, very not good. I mean, DJ LeMayhew has a lower WRC plus. Then Kyle Higashioka, Gary Sanchez, Gleyber Torres, Gio Rochella, Giancarlo Stanton, and Aaron Judge, and also Esteban Florial, who played in one game. <laughs> um like, please, please, please stop adding him lead off. Please. Please. Stop adding him lead off. I beg of you. Anyway, um, I have nothing else creative to say. Do you? No. All right, then. Let's get the fuck out of here. Uh, If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. We never tweet statements from there. Um, If you want to follow Corwin from Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. And if you'd like to send us emails, comments, questions, bullshit, whatever, and you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. John Boy, if you listen to this, send us some job applications. We'll fix up your entire organization for you for free. Um, and by free I mean five uh, thousand uh, dollars. Um we'll get, and yeah, let's,
1: let's put a stop on that free stuff. We're not, uh, we're not there yet.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah what we uh, we're not very talented. Uh anyway, uh, until Thursday. Y'all have a good
1: one. Bye.